Second Kings chapter number 13, and uh, sure enjoy being with you tonight. <clears throat> Beginning in verse number 14, is where we're going to begin our reading tonight. And I want to preach to you on a passage I've never preached on. At least I don't suppose that I have. If I do, I don't remember it, so it must not have been that good. Amen. But uh, I want to preach to you a very simple thought tonight. And I want to preach to you on the topic of a full arsenal. A full arsenal. Second Kings chapter number 13, beginning in verse number 14. The Bible says, Now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness, whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, O my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bows and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thine hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hands upon the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from, the, from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians in Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows. And he took them. And he said unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldest have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Syria till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. Let's pray together tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd ask that you would give clarity, Lord, and purpose and understanding to my words as I speak. Father, that your heart would be revealed to us concerning our lives tonight. And God, that your word would make known to us where we need to grow closer to you. Father, we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the sweet word of God and the sweet Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, help us to be obedient. Help us to be in the heart and center of your will in all that we do. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There's a lot of interesting things going on in this chapter. And time would fail us to deal with all of them, but in the small ensemble of verses that we've read, we uh, find ourselves on Elisha's deathbed. Elisha was a prophet of God. Uh, he was a great prophet of God. He was the one that was with Elijah at Elijah's uh, translation into heaven. He was the one on whom Elijah's uh, mantle had fallen. He was the one that had been given a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Uh, he was the one that had stayed by the man of God. He was the one that had been blessed with an opportunity to minister. There's a lot of things about the life of Elisha that can give us much encouragement. But tonight I don't want us really to focus on Elisha, but I want us rather to focus on the king of Israel, Joash, that is spoken of in this passage. Israel had been at war with Syria, and the Bible says actually at the beginning of the chapter, verse number 3 says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he delivered them into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria, and into the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, all their days. Uh, they had been in the midst of battle. They had been in the midst of conflict. And now the Bible says that God has given them a means and a way out. You know, as I read this passage, I'm struck that it parallels my walk and your walk in many ways. Do you know that you and I are in a battle? Now, you may say, Preacher, I've heard you say that often, and I do say it often because I believe that we often forget that truth. We often forget that we have an enemy. 
We often forget that He has weapons. We often forget that we have a captain. We often forget that we have weapons. We often forget that there is a conflict going on around us daily. We often forget that our enemy has a goal and has an agenda and has a plan and has some things that he wants to accomplish in our life. And I believe we often forget that we have a captain that has some agenda and some plans and some purpose and some things that he's trying to accomplish in our life. I think it's easy sometimes to get our eyes off the battle. I think it's easy sometimes to uh, slip into uh, a calm apathy concerning this battle that's raging. Uh, Do you know that uh, when you're in the heat of the battle, that's when you're most aware of it? Do you know that Satan's desire is to get you out of the battle uh, to the best of his ability? If he can just get you to stop fighting, he's got things took care of. If he can get you to stop fighting, he's made your life a waste. I about said made your wife a waste. I don't know, maybe that too, amen? But uh, if he can get you to quit fighting, if he can get you to lay down your weapons and to give up, uh, then he's accomplished what he's wanting to do in your life. You're on a pathway to destruction. You're on a pathway to standing empty-handed at the judgment seat of Christ. We have an enemy tonight. I mean, there, the, the devil has a desire to destroy us. I think it's easy to forget that sometimes. I understand we live in a temporal world. I understand that uh, the things that are eternal are not seen, but the things that are temporal are seen. And I understand that it's easy to forget sometimes. But do you know that most of the time when we've forgotten, we've forgotten to fight as well. In this passage, the Bible says that Elisha gave a simple commandment to uh, Joash, the king of Israel. Elisha calls Joash to come in uh, to his presence. And I've kind of, I've been thinking about this passage all day. And, uh, you know, I thought to myself, I wonder why it was that Elisha chose to do this at this point. Elisha didn't do it any earlier. He couldn't have done it any later. Could it be that Elisha was aware that without his presence uh, to counsel and to guide uh, the king of Israel, that there'd be a very clear and present danger in their life? Do you know that in many ways, and I'm not trying to say that Elisha is God, but I think in a lot of ways he can picture God here. Do you know that our Lord and Savior does not walk with us bodily in this world? He, he does not walk amongst us today in a physical form. Now, thank God that spiritually His presence is still manifest. Uh, but He, at this time, at this point, you can search this earth, uh, search this globe all over, you will not find the Son of God walking bodily on this earth. And so Elisha, aware of the fact that he wasn't going to be around uh, forever, he chose uh, to bestow upon Joash some resources and a recourse of action, some things that Joash could do to ensure that he could still have the victory. Uh, Elisha brings him in. I kind of like the way the Word of God reads here. I always like the way it reads, but I I particularly like it right here because it's just so so back and forth and so straightforward. uh, If I could just paraphrase, it's kind of like Elisha says, uh, come here, and the Bible says, and he came there. And Elisha said, take a bow, and the Bible says he took a bow. Elisha says, take arrows. He said, well, okay, I'll take an arrow. And he does all these things in obedience. And Elisha says, open the window eastward. You might say, well, I wonder why that is eastward. Uh, Well, there's a lot of different speculations concerning it. Uh, Syria would have lied at the northeastern side of Israel. But probably it's because the lands that Syria had taken lie to the east of where his palace would have been. And so I think what he's saying is, he says, I think you need to focus on your trouble areas. I think you need to focus on the areas of your life where Satan is getting an advantage with you. Do you know this is true? Uh, Most of us, we have strong points and we have weak points. That's just a fact of it. 
We have strong points, we have weak points. There may be some things, brother, that you don't struggle with that the people around you do. There may be some things that they don't struggle with, and they're your biggest challenges day in and day out. And so Elisha says, I want you to open uh, Easter. I want you to face where the problem is. He says, and I want you to take these bows and arrows, and I want you to shoot an arrow outside of that window. I kind of like that Elisha put his hands upon the king of Israel's hand. Aren't you thankful anytime God asks us to do anything, he gives us the help that we need to do it? Aren't you thankful if God expects anything of you, he'll put his big, strong, everlasting arms right upon yours and give you the help that you need? So Joash takes and he shoots the arrow out the window. He doesn't understand what's taking place yet. But Elisha looks at him and says, that's the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and his deliverance from the Syrians. So he's made plain to to Joash what his plans are. And he looks at Joash and he says, All right, I've given you some resources. I've given you a plan. Now I want you to take and I want you to shoot arrows out the window. However many times that you shoot an arrow, however many times that it smites the ground, that's how many times you're going to defeat the Syrians. Joash does something interesting at this point. We assume since Elisha said that he should have shot the arrows five or six times, that there were at least five or six arrows within this quiver of arrows. I mean, I think common sense would dictate that. But the Bible says that Joash takes only three arrows and shoots them out the window. The Bible says that the man of God was wroth with him and explained very simply, said, Joash, I've given you these things. All you had to do was fire them. All you had to do was obey. All you had to do was the things I've shown you to do. And you could have had victory, but instead you elected to hold back. Do you know that's true of me and you? That's true of me and you. You see, when I see these arrows, I see some of the resources that God's given to me and you. When I see this battle that's looming in Joash's life, I see the battle that looms daily in front of us. When I see the caring hands of Elisha upon the hands of that king as he guides him in what to do and where to go and how to function and what the plan is, I see the hands of an almighty God that have given us the things that we need. But let me tell you something. When I see a king that is too fearful to go a hundred percent, I see myself many times. I see a man that's unwilling to do what God's asked him to do and does not see victory as a result of it. I want to give you just a few thoughts tonight. I'm not going to keep you long. I promise it and I mean it tonight. Amen. But the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, you don't have to turn there, it's just a couple of verses. You're welcome to if you'd like. But Peter writing says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power, I want you to notice this, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. God sums up in those two verses to us that He has given us all the resources that we need to have victory in our life. That's just a sad truth, brethren, but the fact is, the vast majority of Christians don't know what spiritual victory is. The vast majority of Christians, they've shot a couple arrows, but they're not shooting their quiver empty just yet. I thought about some of these resources, and I just jotted a few down. There's many, many more, but I want to say a few things that God's given us that we're to fight with, that we're to have victory through. I'd say, first off, you know, God's given us the Scriptures. Thank God for the Bible. 
I mean, we take that for granted, brethren, so often. Do you realize we have the very mind of God? I mean, written down in black and white or in red, if you've got enough money to buy a nice Bible, amen? I mean, we've got it written down right in front of us, the truths of God's mind. All that God wanted for us to know, we have sitting right before us. We have the Scriptures. We take them for granted. I believe not only, and hey, that's a pretty good arrow right there. Thank God for the Bible. But I would say not only the Scriptures, I'd say that we have the Spirit of God. I mean, we have the Spirit of He's the earnest of our redemption. Uh, the Bible says in the book of Acts concerning that little group that was together in the upper room, uh, our Lord and Savior said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. I mean, where the Spirit of God is, there is power to do the work of God. Where the Spirit of God is not, there may be the plan of God to implement. There may be a process, but there's no power of God without the Spirit of God. But He's given unto us of His Spirit. He's given us a comforter. He's given us someone to follow. He's gi- Ain't it wonderful that God has not just given us a set of rules, but He's given us a Spirit to lead us day in and day out. I think the leading of the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most neglected tools of the Christian. Many of us don't even know how to listen to the Holy Ghost, let alone let Him lead us. And we've moved away from this idea of following the Holy Spirit in all that He tells us to do. There may be a few things He can wrangle us into doing, but what about the everyday of the matter? The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Listen, if you want to start acting like a Christian, let the Holy Ghost show you how to act like a Christian. I mean, let Him make you one. That's, that's how you become a Christian uh, in the truest sense of the word. I believe we have the Scriptures. I believe we have the Spirit of God. I believe we have the secret place of prayer. The Bible says in the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have a place. We have a throne room. We have a place we can talk to God. I mean, hey, if, if there's a more valuable arrow, you show it to me. We can have direct conversation with the God of the universe. That's phenomenal. I mean, the magnitude of that truth. That the God of glory, we can speak to Him and make our petitions known to Him. Oh my, what an arrow that is. What a resource that He's given us. What a truth that God would let us speak to Him, that He would hear, that He would answer us. I believe we have the Scriptures. I believe we have the Spirit. I believe we have the secret place. I believe we have the sanctuary. I believe God gives us a church and a church family, don't you? I mean, hey, it makes a difference. It makes a difference having a church family. You say, I don't know about that preacher. Well, if you've ever spent any time without one, uh, then you'll know. I mean, you know, you know, God doesn't give us anything for no reason. I mean, common sense dictates that, friend. And I understand sometimes providentially we're not able to be places that we'd want to be. And I understand. I think everybody understands that. And I think with that understanding, let's take a little liberty and preach for a moment. There's some that think they just don't need it, though. Just think it's not important. I understand that there's times when you can't. But hey, when you can, if you think you need it, you will. He's given us the uh, the house of God, the preaching the word of God, the fellowship of the saints. That's another thing. He's given us the saints. He's given us Christian brother, brothers and sisters, people that can encourage us, people that can pray for us, people that can let us know that they know that, that no temptation hath taken you, but such as is common to man. Isn't it good to have Christian brothers and sisters that can come up beside you and say, let me encourage you for a bit in saying you're not alone in this. He's given us some resources. Can I make a simple truth to you here? It's going to take all of them if we're going to have victory. It's not going to take two or three. 
If it just took two or three, it would have just given us two or three. It's going to take all the resources God has given us if we're going to see victory. It took all the arrows in the quiver to get the job done. It's going to take all the arrows in our quiver to see victory in our life. Just Bible study alone ain't going to be sufficient without prayer, without the uh, Spirit of God, without the house of God, without fellowship with the saints. And any one of those things divorced from the others will not be sufficient. It's going to take all of them. I mean, it's time. If we're going to see victory, we're going to have to start going all in. That's just what it comes down to. This half in, half out, that ain't going to cut it if we're going to see victory. You say, preacher, you're beating up. No, I'm instructing and exhorting because the fact of the matter is the devil would love for us to think we can get by with a half-hearted Christianity. That's his battle strategy. The devil's battle strategy is not get you broke down on the street, uh, strung out on drugs or alcohol. If he could do it, he would, but he don't have to do it with most of us. If he can get us to be half-hearted in our Christianity, that's sufficient enough. Uh, we see a few things, and I'm just going to give them to you real quick. I want to say a word about his resources here. I want to say they were available. We don't find anywhere, and maybe I'm misreading it. Uh, I, I know there's a danger to reading between the lines sometimes, but it kind of sounds, as the Word of God reads here, it kind of sounds like Elisha said to Joash, said, take a bow and arrows, and it almost seems like Joash just turned around, grabbed a set, and turned right back around. We don't learn of Joash having to go and fetch any. We don't learn of Joash having to go and make any. We don't learn of Joash having to go and buy any. It seems almost as though they were ready and available right at hand. I mean, he was a king. Of course he had, uh, that had the privilege of the armory. But evidently, he kept them close at hand. You know, and, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time stressing it because I've already dealt with it, but we have some things available to us. Uh, you have a Word of God. I'd say there's not a single person in this room that don't have a King James Bible sitting in your house or in your lap, one of the two. I mean, we have that right in front of us. Just whether we're going to utilize it or not. There's not a single one of us, if we've been born again, that we don't have a place at God's throne room where we can speak to Him. There's not a one of us, if we've been born again, that the Spirit of God does not indwell. And on and on we could go with the various resources. They're available to you. The question is, are you going to utilize them? They were available, but we find out uh, that however many arrows He had had in here, we find out that they were adequate. They were adequate. He had more than enough to get the job done. And do you know that try as you may, you'll never find anything more adequate than the resources God has given us. I mean, there may be some other helps. And thank the Lord for other helps that God gives us. Uh, thank the Lord for godly advice from people. Thank the Lord. Hey, thank the Lord for some people for medicine that they need to take. I mean, isn't that true? I mean, thank the Lord for those truths. Thank the Lord for those things, those things that He's given. But let me tell you something. What God's given you is adequate. And there's nothing going to replace it. I mean, you can have all the pills, you can have all the advice and the counsel and the psychiatry, and you can have all the various things in the world. That's not going to give you victory without the Word of God and the Spirit of God, without the saints of God, without prayer, without those saints. You can have all those other things. They're not going to be adequate without what God has given you. What God's given you has been adequate and is adequate. And I, I try to be very careful. I mean, like I've joked time and time again, most people I know need to be on more medicine, not less. And I, I understand I'm not against it. Let me say it very clearly, lest anybody should wonder. I am not at all against it. I think that there's times when it's appropriate. Let me also say I think we do live in an over-medicated world, too. I think there's a lot of things people are trying to fix not only with medicine, psychiatry, with a lot of things, self-help, I think there's a lot of those things that could be fixed with the Word of God if they'd turn to it. 
Now, not all of it. And I think there's a need and I think there's a place for it. And you say, well, preacher, what are you driving at? How do I determine? How do I separate? Well, here's a good way for you to separate. You stay in the Word of God and stay walking by the Spirit of God and stay praying to an almighty God. You stay in the house of God. Stay fellowshipping with the saints of God. You stay with all those things. And if there's anything else that needs doing, God will make sure that it gets done. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. But the truth is, most people have waved the white flag before they've ever fired shot one. They've never fired shot one. They've never even attempted. They've never even took the arrows out of the quiver before they've decided they won't work. I believe they're adequate. I believe the Word of God is still enough to get the job done. I believe that the Spirit of God is still the comforter. Don't you? I believe that prayer still works. I mean, I know it's old-fashioned. I know it's outdated. I know it's not in modern mode with science and technology. But I still believe that prayer works. I still believe these things are adequate. I believe He's given us some resources. We see not only some resources in this passage, but we notice that Joash had some reserve about using them. Joash, it won't have hurt him a bit to use all the arrows in the quiver, and it won't hurt you a bit. In fact, it'll help you if you'll implement all these things in your life. Uh, but he instead elected to only fire a few. Let me just be a little speculative. I don't like to do that, but I believe there's some things we can understand by his actions that will help us in learning from this passage. It's obvious to me, if he understood the premise, and I believe he did, he wouldn't have fired three if he didn't understand the premise of what was going on. If he didn't understand that those arrows were supposed to promise him victory, if he would fire them, he wouldn't have fired three. He fired three for a reason. Uh, Why do you reckon he fired three and no more? I would say, first off, he underestimated the Syrians. He thought three would be enough. I'm going to say something right now, and, and I want you to listen carefully, because I believe it is very, very relevant to our lives today. We have as much God as we want. The reason that we do not implement more of the resources God has given us is because we believe we can do all right with what we have implemented. Now, that's true of me, that's true of you, that's true of all of us. Listen, if if you spend ten minutes in prayer every day, it's because you believe ten minutes is all you need. If you you spend ten hours in prayer, it's because you believe ten hours is all you need. If you don't open your Bible from Sunday to Sunday, it's because you believe you don't need to open your Bible from Sunday to Sunday. I mean, I understand that this kind of preaching is not flashy. I understand it doesn't pack auditoriums. I understand it may not even be palatable, but I believe it is the common sense, logical truth of the matter. The reason we don't is because we don't think we need it. We think we can handle it on our own. He underestimated the power of his enemy. And let me tell you something. That's what Satan's looking for. He doesn't want to appear as a roaring lion. He wants to appear as an angel of light. He's not interested in showing how wicked he is to us. He's interested in showing how harmless he can appear to us. And the moment that you think, the moment that you think that you can do it on your own and that Satan's not going to get you like he's gotten everybody else, that's the moment he's got you. He underestimated the Syrians. He thought three would be enough. God had given him enough for five or six, but he thought three would be enough. You know, if we don't need, if we don't need the Word of God, God wouldn't have given it to us. If we don't need prayer, God wouldn't have made a way. If we didn't need the Spirit of God, God wouldn't have given it to us. If we didn't need the house of God, there'd be no local churches. Wonder why God does those things. Because they're necessary. 
because they're necessary. Now you say, well, you know, preacher, it's, I'm free, white, and 21. I make my own decision. That's very true. So am I. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand this. There are consequences to the things that we do. There are consequences. I mean, we can make those decisions. And, hey, brother, this church will love you. I will love you. Probably everybody in this church will love you. Nobody will look at your cross. Everybody will have compassion. And they'll all care about you. But it doesn't change the fact that there's still results to our actions. The Lord isn't going to send you to hell if you don't live for Him wholeheartedly. But that don't mean there won't be some consequences. I believe He underestimated the Syrians, but I believe He overestimated Himself. I believe part of the reason he thought three would be enough, it wasn't so much that he thought the Syrians were not formidable. It was more that he thought he was equipped and capable in and of himself. He thought three would be enough with him doing it. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. The fact of the matter is, and I'm going to try to say it just as, as plain I'm going to try to take all the preach out of what I'm about to say. Does that make sense, Brother Al? I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to holler. I'm not going to do a backflip. I'm not going to hack. I'm not going to snort. I'm going to say this as plain as if I was just talking just me and you sitting there. Listen carefully to me. We all have a tendency to think we can do it on our own. We all have a tendency to think that we can do it without the things God's given us. The very deception in the Garden of Eden was that Satan came along and told Eve, you don't really need God to live and to be happy and to serve. You know what he said to her? He said, uh, the Lord knows that in the day that ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What he was saying is, Eve, if you'll eat of this fruit in this garden, you won't need God anymore. You can be God for yourself. That is still the deception to this very day. That's still what we're facing and fighting to this very day. We have a choice we get to make. Thank God for free will. I mean, thank God that He gives us a choice in the matter. But understand, we can choose to not implement certain areas and resources that God has given. That's your choice. No one can stop you. God Himself will not stop you. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to take a toll on our spiritual walks. It doesn't mean we won't wind up losing the battles. The war is won, but the battles can be lost, friend. I mean, the war, if you're saved by God's grace, nothing's going to unsave you. That doesn't mean that you can't go out of this world with a terrible testimony, spiritually bankrupt, nothing to show for the life that God's given you. It can happen in a moment. In a moment. We see His reserve. He overestimated Himself, and He underestimated the Syrians. But I want to show you the result. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. We didn't read it a moment ago, so pay extra close attention. Verse number 25. The Bible says, And Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, took again out of the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Hazael, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times did Joash beat him. Now, I want you to notice this. And recovered the cities of Israel. As you read that passage, uh, it, it seems very, very encouraging. And in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, thank God that, that we can regain some ground that we've lost. Amen? 
I mean, thank God that if we've messed up in our life, I hope that in a moment, if God's spoken to your heart, I hope you'll make use of this altar and regain some ground that you may have lost. Thank God that there's a way to do that. But I see some things in here uh, that are implied that I want to touch on. What did it cost him shooting just a few arrows instead of his quiver empty? What did it cost? What were the results in the fact? And let me just say this. What are the results of half-hearted Christianity? Let me give you two things. First off, I want you to see the forfeiting of progress. It says he recovered the cities of Israel. It's interesting to me that he did regain the things that he lost. But do you know that there was potential there for him to destroy Syria and to take that land for the glory of God? You know what happens in half-hearted Christianity? Listen carefully. At our very, very best... We just tread water at our very, very best. I mean, I'm talking about if everything goes right. At our very, very best, we just regain regain some ground we may have lost. There is no progress without a full-scale assault. There is no progress without an empty quiver. There is no progress unless we implement and go all in. He forfeited the progress he could have had. He could have taken that entire nation, one of the most powerful nations ever to exist, and he could have destroyed them, had all of the spoil and all of the land. And you may say, well, preacher, I'm not interested in destroying other people. Uh, Well, listen clearly to the analogy here. You ought to be interested in gaining ground in your spiritual walk. It ought to be that we're not struggling with the same thing week after week, month after month, year after year, some of us decade after decade, struggling with the same sins. You know why that is? We're willing to fire an arrow or two, but we're not ready to plunge wholeheartedly into serving Christ. We're scared to do it. That's why we don't do it. We're scared if we do, it's going to change our life. It will. (laughs) For the glory of God and for your good, it will. But we're scared to do it. I want us to notice the forfeiting of, of progress. But he also gave something else up. He gave up the future of peace he could have had. He gave up the future of peace. Generations down the road, his children would have to fight this very same enemy again. His children would have to fight this foe because of his choice, because of his decision. You see this consistently in the Word of God. Most prominently, I think we think of it with Lot, whenever he lay with his daughters. Two nations came from that event that plagued the nation of Israel time and time again. King Saul was uh, challenged with destroying a pagan king, and he chose not to do it, but he chose rather to preserve and to allow uh, some of them to live of that nation. And they continued on and continued to plague the children of Israel. Listen, we can fight these battles today, or we can let our kids fight them 50 years from now. Some of us are instilling in a younger generation that it's okay to be half in for Jesus Christ. I'm going to call on your memory some. You remember what it was like? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Who's older than this and older than that? I don't want to write. But some of you remember what it was like. Let's say back in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s. And you can look back. You can see the generational shift that has taken place this day that we live in. You can look around you tonight, and I don't mean this by way of griping. I think we've got a good group here tonight. I praise the Lord for it. But 
You look around on a Wednesday night. Some of you growing up, and I, I kind of I could be wrong. I feel like we got pretty good church, Brother Ralph. I feel like God meets with us. I feel like we're serving God. I mean, I think there's areas we need to improve, but I think God's in this thing. Some of you, you remember a time when a church that didn't have a lick of God on it and wasn't nothing but a social club, a church that wasn't doing anything for God would have had three times this many on a Wednesday night just by virtue of the difference in society. Do you remember that? You remember a time when you didn't have to drag people into church. You remember a time when it was just uh, par for the course that a family went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And I, I don't say that by way of griping. I say that to say this. Something has happened generationally in our country. Half-hearted Christianity got passed from generation to generation to generation. It got learned. You know that every new convert in the Word of God was always wholeheartedly in for Jesus Christ. You don't find a single new convert in the New Testament that after they got saved was only half interested in serving Jesus Christ. Every one of them. The second they got saved, they was ready to tell everybody they could find. They was ready to pick up the cross and follow Him time and time again. You know what that tells me? Apathy is learned. It's a learned behavior. We learn to not care. We learn to be half-hearted in our Christianity. I kind of think they had to fight some battles later on down the road, Brother Ralph, because of Joe Ash's decision that day. Joe Ash thought that it only affected him. We always think that. We always think that. But it did not. It affected generations to come. Now, here's the simple question I've got for you, and I'm done. How many, how many arrows do you think you're firing in your Christian walk? Are you implementing all the resources that God's given you? Or are there some areas in your Christian walk that, and it may be just of late, you've let slip? Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe it's your Bible study life. Maybe uh, maybe it's uh, le uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and following Him. But there may be an area of your life that you'd have to say, maybe it's attendance in the house of God. Maybe it's fellowship with the saints of God. On and on we could go. But maybe there's something in your life that you would have to admit. Preacher, if I was to be truthful, I'd have to admit, I ain't fired that arrow in a long time. I've been letting it slip in my life. Let me give you a warning and an encouragement tonight. The warning is this. It will affect you. It will affect your spiritual walk. And the encouragement is this. You don't have to go any longer without firing that arrow. You don't have to go down that pathway. You can set things right between you and Almighty God tonight. There's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. And there's the sweet Holy Spirit of God that's ready to convict you and to comfort you and to show you what it means to confess your sins and to seek the forgiveness of God.